the hippie movement, he brought a so-called powerful and secretive yoga to the United States. Celebrities such as Madonna, Kate Hudson, and Alicia Keys have embraced it. And his spiritual organization created a well-known tea brand that can be found in supermarkets around the world. Yogi Bhajan created a billion-dollar empire that's still going strong 17 years after his death, even after being called the Harvey Weinstein of yoga. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sinister Societies, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. Every week, we're going to cover your favorite cults, faith followers, and secret societies. We'll look at how some of the biggest secretive societies and cults have made their fortunes. And how they've also managed to run in plain sight and permeate into your everyday life. Today, we're going to tell you about the Healthy, Happy, Holy Organization, commonly known as the 3HO, and its founder, the Kundalini master, Yogi Bhajan. A man credited for the rise in popularity of yoga in the United States in the 1970s, and who also happened to build a billion-dollar business empire, which includes a tea brand that most of you have likely seen and probably tasted. And just a heads up before we kick off today, in this episode, there will be some discussion of sexual abuse. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. So let's get into how a former airport customs officer made his way from India to the US, where he became a spiritual leader and started his own form of Sikhism and built a billion-dollar organization. Well, let's get into it. I don't want to blow my load too soon talking about... (laughs) The migrant mentality. Talking about the migrant mentality and talking about the endless possibilities of, and I've called it this before on our own show, Red Hand, and I'll say it again here because it is true. Yoga, in my opinion, is India's most obnoxious export. And this man is the one who did it. She says it all the time. <laughs> She's actually got a dartboard in the office. It's just a series of people doing tree pose on trees. She routinely sets it on fire. And also just a pair of uh, yoga pants that say India's most obnoxious export on them. And it could be about me or it could be about yoga. <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't know the name Yogi Bhajan and want an idea of where today's show is heading, well, here's a quote from his LA Times obituary. This is a quote. Are you ready? Students flocked to him. Women so adored him. It became an honour just to wash his feet. Men longed for his approval. They trusted him to arrange their marriages and select their careers. End quote. Because in India, it's quite a big thing to like touch someone's feet. It's like a sign of respect. Mm. So, um... It's meant to be seen as like the lowest part of you. So if someone touches your feet, it's like they're really um, submitting themselves to you. 
Right. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Let's get back to this obituary. The New York Times, no less. The headline read... <laughs> I'm going to get through this with a straight face if it kills me. Boss of world's spiritual and capitalistic dies. That doesn't even make sense. I, I did expect better, I'm, I'm afraid, from the New York Times. Excellent. But I do think whether we understand this particular New York Times obituary headline or not, I think that idea of spiritual capitalist sums up everything you need to know about today's man. I also moment. think a title that you might quite like to wear yourself. I mean, I didn't want to say it. I think I'm not spiritual enough. This, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, 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 a cynical capitalist, mm. maybe. A cynical but upbeat. <laughs> So before he was Mr. Yogi Bhajan, he was, and I do know how to say these names. Glad that bit's in your bit. He was Harbhajan Singh Puri. And he was born in 1929 in the province of Punjab in India. This area is actually now, however, very interestingly, part of Pakistan. Now, although Bhajan's dad was Sikh, young Bhajan attended a Catholic school run by nuns. Again, very popular business in India, regardless of what your like parental religion is. Loads of people just end up getting sent to Catholic schools, like I was. Don't know why, but that's what happens to you. So Bhajan began practicing yoga at the age of just eight years old, which is a, a far cry from everyone in the Western world who, when we all started, when we started to develop back problems in our late 20s and early 30s. I beg your pardon, I started when I was 15 years old. Well, there you go, except for Hannah Maguire. My grandmother was a yogi until she died when she was 87, and she constantly begged me to learn to do yoga, and I just refused. I, I have fallen off the yoga train. I, I like Pilates a lot better because I'm really sweaty. So mm, in yeah. Pilates, I don't slip. Mm -hmm. But in yoga, slipping all over the place is very embarrassing. We tried hot yoga. Oh my God. I, okay. You're going to love this so much. So hot yoga, formerly Bikram yoga. Mm -hmm. It's a very similar story to this. Mm -hmm. Lots of sexual abuse going on. I used to go to Bikram yoga when I was at university and there was like a offer that was like, if you do 30 classes in 30 days, uh -huh. you win a membership. Right? 30 classes in 30 days. Yeah. And the way it works is you're in a room that's about 37 degrees and you're like, you're so sweaty, you're just like drenched. Like you're, everyone's dripping and it's 90 minutes and you do the two sets of the same poses and the first time you hold it for two minutes, the second time you hold it for one minute or it might be the other way, I can't remember. Anyway, once it was so intense, I burst into tears. <laughs> it was awful. It was so awful. Well, there you go, guys. Don't do it. And also, I have to say, this whole 30 days, 30 classes, if you do it, you get a free membership. That sounds like cult indoctrination. It literally was, but I was a student and I had no money. I mean, I'm not judging you, I'm judging them. I've never been to a Bikram yoga class. The closest I've ever come is I am... Um, turning the radiator on. Just, yeah, turning the radiator <laughs> on and having a little uh, lie down. So it doesn't matter. Anyway, so back to this. Uh, like we said, um, Bhajan started doing yoga at the age of eight. And by the age of 16, he was reportedly a master of kundalini yoga. And I believe the kundalini yoga mm -hmm. is the, the swirly, roundy stomach one. It is. It's the one my grandmother did. Is it really? Mm -hmm. Okay, moving swiftly onwards. During the violent partition of India, which if you don't know about, uh, read a book. Uh, in 1947, the village where Bhajan lived had to be evacuated. Although only a teenager, he was charged with leading more than a thousand villagers to safety. They escaped on foot to Delhi, 
a more than 300-mile journey. So once he made it to Delhi, he attended a university right there in Delhi, and he excelled at sport, got a degree in economics, ding-a-ding-ding. And then after university, he worked in India's internal revenue department, the economics, and then tax, how boring. And then he became head of customs at an airport, also in Delhi. It's just a, a long string of bad news. Bad news bears. Bad news bears decisions. Um, no, I got as far as doing the degree in economics, applying for a job in tax, and then deciding against it. It's all about the choices we make. <laughs> and then it was in 1968, during the height of the hippie movement, when a now married budget moved to Los Angeles by way of Canada. And it wasn't long before he turned his garage, his what? His garage, into an ashram and spiritual commune where he taught kundalini yoga, a form of yoga he claimed to be very powerful and one that had never been taught openly before. What does that mean? Well, this is the thing, isn't it? We've seen this time and time again with cult leaders. They they need to bring some secret knowledge, right? Especially during this particular time period from overseas, from the East, preferably. Bring it over. Say it's really powerful. Say it's really got spiritual. It, it. Say nobody else knows this and it's top secret Eastern healing, power, magic etc. That good old Eastern healing power magic. Exactly. And that's how you get all the white folks to join your cult in the late 60s and 70s. So anyway, uh, in this period in the US, it was known as the guru boom. So like we're saying, this whole like influx or import of um, Eastern philosophy and stuff like that, people in the US at this time were primed for it because it was a time in which young Americans were searching for new spiritual beliefs and ideas. I think, you know, you'd gone through so much like the 50s where it was so repressive and all of this. And then suddenly sexual awakening, in come the bangles and the bindis and the henna and the new eastern philosophy and budgen fit that bill to a t he also introduced a form of sikhism to the united states called sikh dharma he required his followers to be vegetarian all genders were required to wear white robes and turbans they were not allowed to cut their hair and like sikh men in india budgen's followers carried side swords is really every Sikh man in India carrying a side sword? I mean, this is the thing. I think in the UK, we've got a lot of Sikhs. Mm. We've got a big Sikh population. But in India, the Sikh population is very, very tiny. It's like 2 or 3% of the population is Sikh. And generally speaking, they all live in the Punjab, which is not where my family are from. So I don't know. Though I did go to a Sikh wedding a few weeks ago, and my friend's husband... Uh, now husband, was wearing a giant sword on the side of his body. Was he really? He was indeed. Mm. So on top of the swords, in Budgeon's LA Times obituary, the one that we mentioned earlier, it was reported that he demanded his followers to rise before dawn, take cold showers and do hours of chanting. And routinely, they had to fast. Again, though, I'm going to say it, cult wind chime. This whole thing of doing hours of chanting is a very, very typical thing that we see in cults all the time because it is a way to like put a person's mind into like almost like a hypnotic state where they become more suggestible. This is straight out of like cult tactics 101. The other thing, routine fasting. The deprivation of food and especially the deprivation of protein 
is so important to cult leaders. They know this because once you are hungry and once you're deprived of protein, your brain just doesn't function. You just can't think your critical thinking, your ability to question things, everything becomes much more dulled. And again, ding much more susceptible. Much more susceptible, much more anxious and probably a lot more depressed and anxious and depressed and hungry people are easier to control than ones that have all of their wits about them. Mm-hmm. And after this, Bajan gave himself the title of Supreme Religious and Administrative Authority of the Sikh religion in the Western Hemisphere. How modest. I know, I know. Not just religious, but also administrative authority got to cover all the bases. I mean, someone's got to cross those T's. Yeah. So this title has been disputed by Sikhs in India, as well as the diaspora in the United States. He also claimed to be the only living master of tantrism. And let's be clear here. Bhajan didn't introduce Sikhism to the United States. And it has to be said that many traditional Sikhs denounced Bhajan's teachings didn't actually attract many Sikhs at all, or many people of Indian or South Asian heritage, or any Asian heritage at all. He attracted mostly, surprise, young, white, middle-class Americans to his yoga and religious practice. Coming up, how Yogi Bhajan's healthy, happy, holy mantra helped create a widely successful business for him. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. In the late 1960s, Yogi Bhajan established his healthy, happy, holy organization, as we said at the top of the show, known commonly as the 3HO Foundation. By 1977, he had opened more than 100 ashrams and yoga centers in the US, Canada, and even overseas as well. And around this time, Bhajan claimed to have 250,000 followers. Although, although this number has been disputed, I wonder if he's counting literally anyone who sat on a yoga mat. Yeah, 250,000 people. But I don't know. People love yoga. They do love yoga and America's a big place. So Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe I'm scoffing too early how entirely uncharacteristic. (laughs) So in the early 1970s, Bajan bought a large ranch in New Mexico, as well as 120 acres of land nearby. The ranch became a religious compound where followers of the Sikh Dharma could live. And also, would you like a fun fact? Desperately. Four former New Mexico governors actually attended Bhajan's 75th birthday party at the ranch in 2004. I'm, I'm hardly surprised. And he probably presented himself as an extremely rich but very harmless man. Very exotic. And this is where the story may get a touch confusing, but bear with us. 3HO is also known as Sikh Dharma International. Now, under the Sikh Dharma International name, 
there are a bunch of other businesses. Again, we've seen this before. Firstly, we've got a call security. Then we've got the East West Tea Company, yoga centers, and new age music production companies, to name just a few of the many businesses. It's quite a few. I also, the East West Tea Company. I mean, they're not, not trying desperately hard. Akol Security is currently one of the biggest companies under this umbrella. According to a 2010 Huffington Post article, Akol Security had a federal contract worth $3.5 billion. In the past, Akol Security had provided security to the Department of Homeland Security, a lot of securities there, and the Department of Justice, airports, and federal courthouses. They're not, not fucking about. They got some decent contracts there. I'll give them that. It, yes, they certainly have. And another big moneymaker for Sikh Dharma International is the East West Tea Company, the laziest named company in the world. And this company produced Yogi Tea, which is a brand of tea you can find at supermarkets all around the world. In 2017 alone, one billion bags of Yogi Tea were sold around the world. The original Yogi Tea was created to help keep the immune system healthy. And on the 3HO website, it says the tea was also made to help young people who are into, and this is a quote, drugs and sex. And it also uh, gives people strength to do hard exercise. This is the thing I don't understand. When they're just like, the tea can help young people who are into drugs and sex. Sure. What do you mean? Do you mean that you can cure them of uh, drug addiction? You can take away their high sex libido so they're more um, pure? Or are you saying it's just for people who like sex? Like if you like sex and drugs, you'll probably like this tea. Is it like a, like a Facebook referral ad? Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But I did just Google image yogi tea. Did you? And I have drunk this tea before. Have you? For sure. You might have. Do you want to say it's that. No, never touch the stuff. I don't know what it did to me um, <laughs> or what it did for me. But yeah, I've definitely drunk that tea before. Well, there you go. I hope you're proud of yourself. I'm, I'm sure I, I am. I'm sure I am. I am. <laughs> I How do you feel about drugs and sex? Uh, mm, pass. Um, <laughs> I think you can find it. Where I've definitely had it is scattered around the youth hostels of Asia. Ah. Uh, mm, in the communal kitchen. Got it, got it, got it. <laughs> so... According to a Time magazine article from 1977, followers of Budgeon, who worked at his small businesses, reported that they often worked 12-hour days for little money, and they ate poorly. These businesses included landscaping companies, shoe stores, and, of course, vegetarian restaurants. At the time of the article's publication, Budgeon declined to grant Time an interview addressing these allegations. The 3HO Foundation is also tax dodge alert, a non-governmental organization recognized by the United Nations. According to the 3HO's website, its NGO supports women's rights, including the Stop Violence Against Women campaign. Is that a campaign or is that just a like general? Just we we don't agree with that violence against women stuff. <laughs> Nothing else to say. No, Nothing yeah, else to just add. No, no illustration. Just uh, stop doing that. And in the Time magazine that we mentioned a moment ago, it also contained an allegation from a former employee who alleged that, quote, a coterie of as many as 14 women 
some of whom attend his baths, give him group massages, and take turns spending the night in his room while his wife sleeps elsewhere. Guess they're washing his feet. Yeah, his feet are soaking all the time. And uh, he makes you drink like six cups of yogi tea before you come in. Because we st- or he doesn't. Because Maybe we they're still washing, don't his, know. T- washing his feet in the yogi tea. Maybe his feet loves drugs and sex. I mean... It sounds like they do, to be honest. Allegedly. So it was in 2020 that LA Magazine also reported that, quote, women travelled with him to attend to his personal and professional needs and lived like nuns with no families of their own. But again, you see here kind of that typical um, abusive behaviour, you know, isolating your victims from their families, from their friends, cutting off any social networks or any social connections they have so that they find it harder to leave from you no matter how abusive or how deplorable your behaviour becomes. And all this that we've just told you is from the same man who's been described as being a tireless advocate for world peace and who even encouraged dialogue among world leaders including the Dalai Lama and Pope John Paul II JP2, my homeboy Next up, how posthumous accusations of sexual and physical abuse disrupted Yogi Bhajan's harmonious Sikh Dharma organization. In 2020, a former follower and personal assistant of Yogi Bhajan's released a memoir that revealed a not-so-healthy-happy-holy lifestyle within his religious community, Kelsa Priest. Pamela Dyson wrote in her memoir that Bhajan had abused her sexually. She also wrote that others within the group had also been abused by the yogi. Following the release of Dyson's memoir, more people came forward with their own stories of abuse. After Bhajan's death in 2004, the LA Times spoke with cult expert Rick Ross, who had assisted former followers of Bhajan and had also researched lawsuits filed against him. Ross said of Budgeon and leaders of his group, quote, The litany of complaints that have surrounded the group regarding abuse go back to the 70s. And in 2020, a historian of religious studies at the University of California in Santa Barbara told LA Magazine, quote, Yogi Budgeon will be remembered like a Harvey Weinstein or Jerry Sandusky of yoga. But has he? I mean, I mean, I don't know that. I can't name that many yogis, to be fair, apart from Mr. Bikram. He's the only one I know. Yeah. Um, no, obviously, it's not as famous a case. But then, I don't know. Maybe it's just because he wasn't that famous when he was alive. So the 3HO Foundation took the allegations of abuse seriously and hired an independent company to look into them. The investigation found that Budgeon, quote, more likely than not, raped three women and that he had abused many others, including children. So after the release of the report, 3HO wrote an open letter on its website acknowledging the investigation's findings. They said, quote, We cannot undo the past, nor can we undo the actions of a man we trusted as a spiritual teacher and guide. We can, however, commit to transforming our organization so that we truly embody our core values, end quote. You know what? 
That's a pretty good statement if they follow through with that. Because of previous allegations of abuse, the maker of Yogi Tea removed a lookalike picture of Budgeon from its tea boxes in 2008. Since the latest allegations of abuse have surfaced, some yoga studios that offer classes based on Budgeon's teachings have deleted references of him. But there is still a highway in New Mexico named after Yogi Budgeon. And of course, the yogi still has his defenders. Well, this is the thing. I wonder, and this is just a theory that I'm going to wildly throw out there, is the reason that the yoga, so Bikram and Yogi Bhajan Yoga, they're like, we're going we're gonna to get rid of their name. We're going to recant on this. We're going to say, you know, no, no go. We don't approve of this. Is it because the majority of the people going to these classes that are going to be drawn towards this are young white women who will be like, mm, he's a sex offender. And therefore they're taking a shrewd marketing decision to decouple or distance themselves from this man. Oh yeah, because yoga is always going to make money. Yeah, and there's a specific type of person that's going to be drawn towards mm-hmm. it, who's probably not going to be game for these allegations. So, yeah, there you go. What else did we learn in today's episode? We learned, yes, I've talked a lot of shit about yoga, but like Hannah said, it is very good for you. And um, if you aren't as lazy as me, you should go do it because it'll probably <laughs> solve all of your problems, like my grandma kept telling me. And we also learned that if you are exotic enough and become successful enough, Hannah, then you can get the various past governors of New Mexico to come to your birthday party. So thank you so much for listening. I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. And we'll be back next week with another great episode. Make sure you remember to follow Sinister Societies on Spotify to get a brand new episode every week. You can listen to this and all other episodes of Sinister Societies for free exclusively on Spotify. And if you like this show, be sure to follow Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. And if you like us specifically, there is a whole internet full of us and you can find it uh, at Red Handed, the pod on Instagram and on Twitter. And you can download Red Handed wherever you find your podcasts. See you next time. Sinister Societies is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Podcast. It's produced by Kristen Acevedo and Gemma Waters. Sound designed by Kristen Acevedo. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro. Research by Chelsea Wood and fact-checking by Cara McCurlin. And we're your hosts, Hannah Maguire and Saruti Bala. <laughs>